You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Rat Bastard of Laundry Room Squelchers, Scraping Teeth, uh, To Live and Shave in L.A. How is it going, Rat? Pretty good. Yeah, I've been uh, just uh, transitioning to moving my living quarters and studio and music equipment to a new location, uh, which will probably most likely be a warehouse. And I'm in an area called Opalaca, Florida, which is in the dead center of of, of Miami. Uh, no one knows it even exists because most I've people never heard, never heard of it. Most people from Miami don't even ever come here. It's about four square miles uh, area, and it's right in the center. And there's a little highway called the Nine that leaves uh, Golden Gate, Golden Glades area, and goes straight to it. And you and you end up from uh, I ninety five to Twenty Seventh Ave, and you know, and there's nothing in between but trees and a tra- train track, and that's it. And there's nowhere in Miami that actually that exists except for this area. And when you get here, there's it's famous for a few things. One is the most famous is with Amelia Earhart, where's where she took off from oh. this an airport called Amelia Earhart Park in airport uh in this uh in this in this town or so. That's the main thing. It's also full of warehouses. And it also houses uh UPS, FedEx, you know, large facilities for UPS and FedEx and now a 40,000 square foot Amazon building. <laughs> but more importantly, it's housing you right now. So that's really. It's more than that. It's like 10 blocks long, this warehouse, Amazon, wow. which is not far from here. Insane. But they didn't, the only thing that pissed me off is they didn't make the building uh, Moorish because this is the largest Moorish collection of buildings in the Western Hemisphere in this small little town. So and cool. if you read up on it, uh, 1920s, some wealthy guy thought that was a great idea to start doing naming things Alibaba and Open Sesame and all that stuff. <laughs> well, Rhett, are you Florida your whole life? Were you born and raised in Florida? No, no. I was born up in upstate New York, uh, not far from Woodstock, well, gotcha. Ellenville, Ellenville, New York. And then when did you get down to Florida? Uh, in the seventies, early seventies, uh, my family, uh, we used to come to Miami, uh, in the sixties, my uncle, believe it or not, which is kind of weird. That's how things go in a circle. My uncle lived on 143rd street in Opalaka, where I'm at, <laughs> right? Like, like block, like four blocks from what? where I am now in the sixties. And this area of, uh, Opalaka, where they call it the LA of the East, all these famous uh, movie stars and producers lived in, this is where they lived in Miami. From that They were from LA. They all had their second homes here and stuff like that, whatever, near summer. And uh, this is the area where they were. It's like acre property. You got to see some of these houses. Like, whoa, where the hell that? who the hell built that? You know, but that was in the sixties. So it was a really popular neighborhood in the sixties. I mean, you know, nationally. So, this is where you know a lot of a lot of stuff was going down. A lot of people lived here, and uh, I guess it, it changed over in the seventies and then the eighties. Went right down the tubes. You know, it was like really bad area. You know? mm-hmm. And then uh, it, it had to be. It's also it since then has been cash strapped. Like nobody wants to go near this place, and that's why I wanted to move here. 
Yeah. <laughs> nobody <laughs> knows this place exists and nobody wants to come here. They will what? not come here. You're in Opelika Park. I ain't going there. Dude, amazing. So, so the you started doing, when did you actually start doing music and start doing like the e-sync label and stuff. And that's in the eighties, uh, right? Well, I did music way before e-sync. Uh, yeah, that was in the eighties. I started playing music and, you know, like everybody does in high school. Right. The seventies. And, uh, but we, we hated, you know, just regular music. We, we used to write our own shit. It sucked. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but that was a good thing that it sucked because we liked it more. And, uh, when, when we would take like popular music, we had to learn how to play our instruments so you have to really kind of like learn a couple of songs that are popular to learn your instrument kind of back then. I didn't read music or anything. So we, uh, we, uh, used, uh, we just changed the lyrics. We just hated everybody's lyrics. So we made every song like really perverted. Mm-hmm. So Amazing. We were, <laughs> so we changed all the lyrics and, uh, this is when you were in so, high school. Yeah. So you do all these perverted. So we were sort of like, like blow fly, but punk rock, you know? And then, believe it or not, in 1980, when I opened my studio in 1980 on Biscayne Boulevard, one of my first clients was Blowfly himself. Well, it was that architect. <laughs> Blowfly, man. Shit. So you started hey. the studio in 1980? Yeah. I said, what are you doing here, man? He goes, I'm broke as a motherfucker. They ripped him off. So, <laughs> so I recorded Blowfly from 1980 until a month before he passed away a couple of years ago. Wow. So you were, and you were running, you were the engineer, you were doing everything. Was that, it was, were you, was it a one man operation or did you have a yeah, crew well, with you? Yeah. We all were one man operations, but I had partners, but we right. all, we all did our own sessions. You know, right. We just, right. You know, it was like three, three or four of us doing sessions at different times. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, we, we talked to Bill Orcutt a few weeks ago and I recall you telling me a story that back then there was a place where you could get records pressed in a in yeah. about a day. That is yeah, true. One day. Right? We did the, the first Harry Pussy record was was pressed in one day. So you it's unfathomable. So what was the process? You basically just brought the master uh, over. You watched everything uh, happen. We no, we uh, well, uh, Bill came in with Adrian. She never played drums before, right? And then they, they they did an initial take, and then he came back to the studio and did some overdubs, and then I. Then we mixed it. I don't remember. You know, I guess we mixed it. And I go, I go, man, she puts this out as a seven inch, man. It's good. He's like, ah, man. I go, no, nah, man. I said, you know. So we thought about it. He says, okay, let's do it. So I kind of, he, they, uh, what I did with the bands is they actually used their own money. But I would, um, I would take every step of the way with them. I would make right. sure they did this and that. And then I would do the promotional end. And then they just, they, they get all the money. You know, they keep, when they sell the records, they get everything. So, uh, so because it's their money, you know, and uh, they were just gonna be records to send out to people to give away, you know, so to so promote, get some write-ups and stuff. So, so uh, I uh, we mixed it uh, that morning. I, the next morning, I went to Mike Fuller of Criteria Records, and he cut the lacquer. I went there at nine o'clock, nine in the morning. I went there. He cut the lacquer. It was just two sides, A and B. Uh, I took the lacquer, put it in a styrofoam box. I took the lacquer to the Hialeah. There's a place called Miami Tape, and they would make they would make the stampers there. So I would go and I hand the guy the lacquer, and he says, "All right, come back in a few hours." 
because he would make me a stamper. And the Miami stampers are different than stampers you, you're used to seeing. Uh, the, the stampers are like, uh, they were thinner. And you would get more pitting in them, like a little, little pitting, but it didn't really affect the sound. But it had more high end than the regular stampers, which I kind of like. So, so we get we got the stamper made. They were thinner. They're they're good. You know, they're not good for ten thousand presses, but they might be good for like three or four thousand. You know, which we would never press that many. So we got the stamper. I went back in a few hours later, and he gave me the stamper. Uh, I took the stamper. I went to Miami Baseball Stadium. There was a pressing plant. There's a Jamaican guy running it. And so a couple of those guys. So I went over there and I brought him the, uh, this is the same place that uh, Two Live Two was pressing at as well at the same time. Oh my God. Like I was sitting there with Luther. We were watching our records being pressed, you know. He goes, what do you got? I said, I'll give you one, man. You're going to hate this shit. <laughs> so, we, so I get there like in the afternoon. So they put it on the machine. Uh, they put the, the the thing right on the machine. And they press a couple of records. So I run home and I listen to it because their record player there sucked. I didn't live <laughs> far from the baseball stadium, so I went on like ten minute ride. Put on my record player. They go, all right, it's good, man. It's good. So I went back and I said, all right, I'm good to go. And he goes, okay. And he just started running the press. Wow. I pressed like five hundred copies, and he pressed all five hundred copies that night. You know, all oh night. Oh my god. And I watched the I watched the whole pressing of it, right? and I stayed there. So. He pressed the record all night, you know. He was done. He was done, you know. Unfortunately, I don't. I didn't do the drugs then that I did now. I'm be better right now, staying here all night. But yeah, so I get the record. I run home, uh, and uh, I put in. A, I made. We already made. Uh, uh, what's a uh, printer that day? Also got the covers made. You just flip over one page. And stuck it in plastic, and there it was, seven inch. Incredible! What a what a different way of going about things. That's in the nineties, but obviously, you know, you set up your studio in the eighties. What what were the eighties in Miami like for you? I mean, were you doing the studio full time? Were you? We had a bunch uh, every night. We it was really the number one venue in Miami because every night we'd have uh, we had I had four rehearsal studios and one recording studio, so five studios. The rehearsal studios went from seven to ten, and from ten to one. So we'd have two band in each each section. So it would be eight. Some nights there were eight bands rehearsing, and uh, two bands recording. So we had wow. ten bands, just going constantly. Yeah, and that was almost every night we had, and everybody was hanging out every night. So that, it just must have been just a just a wild. So it was it was ripping. Yeah, it was, my machine was pretty ripping then. It was punk rock. You know, whatever weirdo stuff, you know, electronic stuff. Well, and then when did when did scraping teeth start? Oh, well, that was uh, that was well way after because when I started there, uh, I went on and I opened up a venue called the Banal Club, and okay. that's when I met King Felix and uh, and uh, Slap Stephen Nestor, and that's where I started getting more into the electronic, crazy electronic stuff. That was like eighty five, eighty six. Okay, and then and then I started put uh, working with King Felix, and uh, and right after that, King Felix moved to North Carolina, uh, Pennsylvania. He moved to North Carolina first, in Pennsylvania, and then I started doing. Uh, um, uh, also, when I had the studios back in the early '80s, there was a guy named uh, uh, James who was a drummer, and he went. He 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 was he his his thing was called the Dim Things, Dim Things Shine. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he was at the time in the early '80s. 
uh, or mid eighties. I mean, if you look at sound choice and and options, he was on the cover of the office. Same things. He was very popular, and so, you know, I got with him and uh, and this bass player Fish Fungus. Uh, he was a art. He was a music uh, student. Uh, his wife played for the Philharmonic. He was a teacher, and he played bass. We called him Fish Fungus. Amazing. <laughs> so he would, what, what, he would, he would, he would hang upside down at night before he played and, and and spray his hair. I had long hair and spray it with uh, hairspray, so it would stand straight up when we would play. <laughs> it was so fun. I couldn't stop. I just got it. I was laughing so hard I couldn't even fucking play. But we could play anyway. <laughs> so what kind but of bands were? Huh? What, what kind of bands were coming through Miami in those later '80s that were sort of going more towards the, <laughs> you know, the wilder side of things, the noisier side of things? Uh, not many because uh, uh, we're, we're we were uh, pretty isolated. So as far as you know, the touring goes, right? But we had a lot of great artists that moved there because or were hanging out there for a while because their grandma lives there now, right? You know what I'm saying? So. We got a lot of great artists that were just there and planted. So we were good, you know. A lot of artists from like Boston and Detroit and Chicago and LA and New York, lots of New Yorkers and, and Philly, you know, the cookies are from Philly and, and Maryland. I mean, come on, that's you know. And so great. and so when did you when did you kind of when did you start doing stuff? that would end up becoming something like the laundry room squelchers. I mean, when, when did that? Oh, that was a, the most scraping teeth was like a first uh, issue of something like that. That was more like we were doing a combination of, 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 of making, uh, of, 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 of being a players and, and out, out doing everything and making it totally unlistenable by outplaying ourselves. You know, we just, we were totally unlistenable. We did three vocal parts where I would do like these real melodic parts and fish funker fish fungus with these stern screaming parts of the same lyrics and 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 them things would just scream like metal. <laughs> same lyrics. <laughs> and all the lyrics were sang not in time. They were all random lyrics. This is a bunch of words that we sang whenever we wanted. And did like, did did Screaming Teeth tour at all? No, we got invited. No, never. We uh, we put out. We did a tape one night, and we recorded it live in my studio, and I mixed it and played live at the same time. I could do this. And uh, well, Tim Things took the tape, and uh, later on, we just we just put our own tapes out. We tried to sell them to people; nobody wanted them. And then we, <laughs> Tim Things took one of the tapes and sent it to Spin Magazine and entered the uh, Worst Band in America contest. You know. Without letting us know, we didn't know. And then I get the call, you know. They had my information on it. And they went, hey, do you know you're, you're, the, you're like the runner-up of Worst Band in America? I went, what? Who's this? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they explained it to me, like, oh, you don't know? No. Okay, well, you're, you're a rat bastard, right? Yeah. And then, you know, they had to explain to me what the hell happened. I said, oh, Tim Stink must have sent that. Oh, my God. I hope you got a plaque for that. Oh, we got plaques. We got all kinds of stuff. And then we, then they flew us to New York. And we played CBGBs, uh, just us, uh, open bar for three hours, and it was, <laughs> and it was all like news people, all kinds of famous people were there and shit. And this yeah. is in the early nineties, or 
It's a 93. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bet they got their money's worth. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And was at this time, was Churchill's going? And were you a part yeah, of Churchill's, Churchill's, Churchill's then? Churchill's been going. Churchill's has been going since uh, I started my studio in 1980. And were you a part of it and, and, yeah, and doing yeah. stuff there at that time? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing like punk band, Myron and Two Lots and stuff like that. So, so wait, were there doors? Uh, when you what? first were there doors on the bathrooms when you first started at Churchill's? Like, what? yeah, there were doors. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, was was it as raw? I mean, I guess what were the stages of Churchill's? To, yeah, it actually, yeah. it was raw. It was worse. Mm-hmm. But then they fixed up the place to what you <laughs> what you used to. That was right. fixed up. Oh, that's so sweet. But, and so has that just always been your your main yeah, place I mean, that you've it. done stuff with? And then yeah. I started my own place because, you know, Dave wanted like, you know, the regular same old shit there. So I'm like, okay, I'll start my own venue. And then I did for about a year. And then I said, okay, I'll go back to church. So he was asking me to do more shows there. And then he, he allowed me to do the crazy, music, uh, you know, really off the wall stuff there. I had a night. So I said, I closed. I just shut my place down. Went up, moved everything over there. And then Later on, I really wanted to do some really crazy stuff. And so I opened up another place called This Closet. And that's when we did art, you know, video and all kinds of stuff. I couldn't do that at Churchill's. And I did, and then I, and then he's like, yeah, I want that. And I closed all that and brought all that stuff to Churchill's again. And then that's when uh, we started doing the Board Shitless Fest, which later became the International Noise Conference. And so how did the board shitless fest start and who were some of the early people that were doing it? Well, it was like cocky SP would, would come down Minneapolis guys, Pennsylvania guys. And what we would do, we would do one singer songwriter that I thought was really good. And then noise, one singer songwriter and then a noise act. We would do alternate back and forth. That's, that's a great style. So when did you start? connecting with people like hockey SP is, around is she, the U S and uh, how did you start? Getting uh, that was probably 80, let's see. But when, when was 99 was it? I don't remember. It was in 99, maybe the nine late nineties with cocky SP. Yeah. 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 And so did, was they started like coming down? Cause I always associate, I think of, you know, cocky SP squelchers to live and shave, mm-hmm. you know, you it's it seems like you guys would end up doing a lot of stuff together in that well, era. I mean, in the early '90s, is when uh, I met Tom Spitz. So Tom and I we started uh, we started recording, uh, and uh, it was like Preacher of Immortality stuff. And then uh, when we got done with Preacher of Immortality, it was just all. Just, he's like, "Listen, man, we got to change the name, man." Uh, I always wanted to use this this, this name to live and shave in LA. It was like you know because he was always the B movies and stuff. Right. But yeah, yeah, I know that like that movie is classic. So he's like, yeah. So I don't care. I don't give a shit. So I, was, I said, but the next album's got to have ball more balls than this one. You know, this one's more arty, which is cool. But you know, yeah, we got if you're gonna play this shit live, man, I play yeah. that stuff. You know, so so that's where Basana Pussy. Uh, Pussy Horse uh, comes Helen, up. That's, Helen, Helen Butte versus yeah, Masana Pussy Bad Pussy Smell. Horse, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's where that uh, that one, I, mean, I can't even remember. I'm thinking of, I'm looking at a, a Buttle Surfer record right now. <laughs> <laughs> they were playing it earlier, and that's where I got that Pussy Horse. Yeah, so when that that was technically the second album. And right, then right. the third album was the live one that Tom mixed, which was great. He hated it. And I thought it was the, great. The, the interview with the Mitchell Brothers? No, that was the fourth piece. Okay. 
the live one was uh was uh uh better uh, uh, better oh better 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 oh we've discussed yeah, this many times stuff. that's when we met people live on the road that's when we met nandor and weasel and all those crazy fuckers so how did you and Tom end up meeting? I mean, did you know him through Peach originally? I kind of knew him because we, me and King Felix, we did this like boat ride up the Miami River. And we, me and Ed Bob and, and King Felix, we brought, uh, uh, we were doing film loops and, and, and doing film loops on the buildings downtown. And King Felix would play, would play live. So okay. King Felix is playing live on this boat. Which is like, if you know King Felix and stuff, it's all just all, you know, uh, one bit, uh, eight bit noise, you know, uh, music. It's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's very, like, very, uh, it's, it's kind of electronic. It's not samples, but it's kind of electronic. Right. And he's, and he's playing like flutes over it and shit and affecting everything. But he, uh, he was playing the music and me and Edward Bob, did the film loops and we were showing the film loops on these buildings. Well, Tom Smith was on that trip. And uh, so Ed Bob met Tom on that trip and I didn't meet Tom. I was just on that trip. So he knew who I was, but I didn't know who he was. And then later on, you know, Ed Bob invited him to the studio to work and he did a couple of sessions and he couldn't, he couldn't hang in there. And then I was, I, I, that's when I met Tom in my studio with, with working with Ed Bob. And then, and I go, yeah, I can finish this up for you. And then I took over Tom's stuff. So, I mean, and then obviously once that meeting takes place, you guys are going to be together and connected for a long time. What, and when, when did the touring begin? Because when we, we talk about this all the time, yeah. you well, that guys, yeah, that was you guys 91. were just such a inspiration for right. the few, yes. the bands that came after. Cause like you guys toured, it was like, you know that wasn't that sort of touring. Yeah, wasn't that, yeah that wasn't wasn't happening. So, so how did it come about? It was like, well, you ever hear of Apollo Eleven? Okay, that was our tour. Okay, <laughs> but uh, what was it? Thirteen? I don't remember. But the one that got stuck in the Anyway, I think Apollo <laughs> yeah, 13. Thirteen. Right? Yeah. Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what happened was we were sitting there, and I'm always I I, I flew around a lot. Uh, I worked for airlines, so I flew around a lot. And I knew a lot of people around the country. So and it was like, yeah, man, you can come out and play. And I would fly and play places. Mm -hmm. But I, I was like, now there's a band that we can actually tour in. So in 91, we started recording. So in 93, we pretty much got done with uh, with the first album, right. um, Manicram. Yeah. So Manicram, Tom said, fuck it, I'm releasing myself. He was working. As a bartender, he's making some good money. So he said, man, I'm going to use my own money. I'm going to put this out myself. So he, he puts it together, and he put his label together, Love is Sharing Pharmaceuticals, and all that, and he puts out the CD. So that was in 93. So we started playing live because we wanted to sell the CD. Yeah. So me and Tom first started playing at Churchill's every Thursday in 93, and we played like 55 weeks. <laughs> Great. Every week. Mm -hmm. Every week. And at that time, the squelchers were playing, were developing, you know, all at the same time, you know, 93, 94. Well, by 95 comes along, we get we pick up Ben, Walcott. By the time 95 comes along, we, we, we recorded another album or something. We go, okay, we got to go on tour. So I figured out that we can tour around the whole country, uh, but treat it like a vacation. In other words, every, all, whatever it's going to cost us, 
put put that money in our pockets and jump in the car and go. I used my own car. That saved money. And the gas was fairly cheap then. So we just we just took off. And uh that that's how we toured around the whole and we had places to stay because I knew the people in these other cities. So we always invited to play stay with people and uh we barely got around. All our shows half Tom booked half the shows half them fell apart, you know. Like one guy his his mom put him in rehab, you know, when we got there, you know. So oh, we wow. we showed stuff like that. And then there were shows that didn't even exist. Who are you guys? You know. But you know, I had we had enough to where we were able to get around and make it but it didn't matter because we had all the money it would cost for gas and, and and to get around. And we did. And we got back. And then the next time we went on tour, we were more, you know, more experienced. We got after two or three times, we were pretty experienced in touring around the US. And then that first tour were I mean, I like you said some of the shows fell apart, some of them didn't happen, but what were some of the ones that did happen and and, and um, we, did you meet up with any other bands? Yeah, you... well, the first one we went straight to Cleveland. Cleveland was the hottest place to go to. So we went straight to Cleveland. Just like a twenty-hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> we stopped in Atlanta. We played. I think we played a show in Atlanta. Maybe I think we played one in Atlanta, and then we went straight to Cleveland. And uh, it was a uh, you know, and we met uh, you know Ralph, those guys there, you yeah. know, speaking tongues and all that stuff. And, but we didn't play speaking. We played a room on top of speaking tongues, which is this old Hungarian theater. We played that. And then we drove over to uh, Ann Arbor, and we met Vegas. We did this radio show, and that's when we met Weasel and uh, Nandor. And uh, was that when know. Couch was? Was that when Magus was doing yeah, Couch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we went to uh, uh, Ypsilanti, and we played the Green Room, mm-hmm. and uh, we played Zoots. There were two nights in Detroit, Zoots and Ypsilanti. So yeah. it was good, and then we—I I think we headed back. I don't. We played somewhere after that. We might have played. We might have went to Memphis or some weird shit like that. But I mean, were, were some of those were? I mean, I guess you would show up to prize in places where they really weren't ready for what you guys were bringing. I would have to assume. Right, right, yeah. But we, but all the places in the early times, they were—they knew what we were bringing. So. And then, but then you, but you kept going. You know, I mean, you guys, you kept at it and you're like, right. Kept yeah. honing kept, it in. Right. Yeah. We kept going in. Then we had some like weekend shows up in New York. We just drive up and play with like, you know, uh, uh, Kilgore's band. It's a New York band. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, it was, we were doing stuff like that. I can't imagine. Like, did you sleep in the nineties at all? No, I, I, still, <laughs> no. I still don't sleep. No, yeah. no, <laughs> <laughs> hasn't happened yet. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you guys are really setting up this what would become the touring route that so many of us end right. up taking up. But you were so important notes. in that. I take notes. I always took notes what it cost because I was a boater. When you right when you when you go on a trip on a boat, you're supposed to plan, make sure you get enough gas to get back and all that. You know, you don't get stuck out in the fucking ocean. So I had that in me, you know, and so I was, and I was also, you know, I did flight plans for jets. 
So everything has to be, is it going to make it? You know, right. is you going to get back? You know, are you going to land without breaking apart? You know, <laughs> so I had that all in my head. So I did the same thing with touring. I used the same. So I was able to p- apply all that. And it's kind of, I kept it organized, and able to build on it. So the Squelchers did a 30-day tour. Yeah. Or it, the first one was a 16-day. We did the whole country in 16 days, across the country in 16 days. And then the next one was 30 days, you know. So I started writing all this stuff and then putting it out on the internet so people could, you know, use it. I mean, everyone, we had how we, that's how we learned how to tour. It was, you, yeah. you look at your, look at all your notes, look at Rat's notes and then figure it out from there. And, and yeah, remember he, Matt, Matt changed your name when he, when you guys were in Miami. Oh yeah. And I said, I told you guys, take off, take off. I got him. That and was then, the, that was the he, greatest. Yeah, he said his key was broken. He couldn't. I says, okay. So I stuck his broken key in the car and it started. Yeah. I said, now mm-hmm. don't turn it off till you get to LA. Yeah. He left yeah, that so- car running, gassing yeah. it up everything until he got to LA. So, so what 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 Rat is ta- what Rat is discussing is the very first uh, hair police tour. Matt Saint Germain booked it. It was hair police, Nan Hunk and Mammal, and we did two nights in Miami. Hung out there, had a great time. Went on his boat, and Matt Saint Germain was with us. But he exactly broke his key in his car and we had to get to Houston. Mm-hmm. So this is the days when we would do the overnight drives. This is this yeah, is young, young man's time. 12 hour but drives if we didn't leave, we, we, we were minutes. I mean, we had to leave that minute or we weren't yeah. going to make the show. And it's true. Right. We showed up and at our set time. There was not like there was no time to spare so rat was like you guys need to go now i'll fucking deal with saint germain like don't like <laughs> like you guys go and he'll catch up with you and he did he caught up with us in california this pre pre i was actually the only person on the entire tour to have a cell phone so we had no contact with him yeah so we, right. he just showed up one yeah. morning he yeah. literally Made pulled it. up and showed up one morning Maybe. I could. We're gonna believe it. Yep. But that was. But that was all from how we learned you know, touring. You know, was from what you guys were doing, and and so those ninety stores were the th- were the trio, correct? Ben, uh, yourself, yeah. and Tom. And is that yeah. also that like the the public access footage that was in right, yeah. Michigan, right? That that's all yeah. that era, right? Yeah. That's all in there. That you know. That's all, and then you know. And then, uh, then Tom eventually he moved back up to uh, uh, Georgia, uh, and then we started doing stuff in Atlanta a lot. You know, we did the um, that big festival tour, tour, tour fest, right? You know, and that brought more people to the game. You know, and, and with you, know. you, with you in the band, was was it was Tom who was seemed to be more the, I guess, the detail oriented guy, the guy who would go. If I'm not mistaken, me correct me if I'm wrong, but he'd be the one who would do all the millions of mixes and stuff. Did you just kind of go in and lay your stuff well, down, the, or the, were you uh, also part of that? Well, I was a part of the beginning. I was the, I did the mixes, the first two mm-hmm. albums, and then the third album, which was Better uh, Better. That's when he basically, I said, "It's all you now, man. You learned enough." I mean, he was watching me, so he learned how to use the the, the equipment to a point, and then he just mixed. He hated it because he was just experimenting. But I liked it because it was experimental and mixing. It was good. It sounded terrible, but it was good. Terrible. <laughs> but then, I mean, but then, you know, an album obviously like Wigmaker was, you know, years and years in the making. Oh, you, yeah, yeah. He's five years he was mixing that one. 
Yeah. He was uh, learning. He was learning how to use computer uh, 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 plugins. And every time he get a new plugin, he says, "Oh, oh, oh well, hey, hold on." And he would change what he was doing. He never. He always changed. He never liked what he did. So he would always change it, change it. And so Kevin, hey man, we gotta put this out in five years. <laughs> but then something like Interview with the Mitchell Brothers, if I'm not mistaken, the story is that was mixed in a day, correct? We recorded that. Me and, me and Ben recorded all the songs for the Mitchell Brothers and the wig maker in one take, one day. <laughs> and Mitchell Brothers happened yeah, quickly, but wig maker. Yeah. I just yeah. blasted through. <laughs> and then Ben went, wait, wait, wait. that was it. One day we played. Both albums, then we didn't have to record anything for five years. <laughs> that's that's, that's efficiency. That's efficiency right there. Yeah, the top wow. is all time after that. Vocals. Wow. That's amazing. And so was Squelchers. Squelchers was happening at the same time, but Squelchers, to my knowledge, never recorded an album, correct? It's always live. We, so yeah, we recorded an album. You did. Once, I think. I think so. It's on a tape. It's a tape. I don't know. That's okay. That's what, okay. That one went to uh, the first one. Yeah. That's the one that went to spin for their second worst man in America contest. Amazing. And we were runners up and then they ended up canceling the whole contest. They never went through with it, but we were, Welters were runner up. And I remember sending a big fucking uh, soapbox with six tapes in it. We recorded twelve songs in the studio, and uh, and uh, I put six tapes in it. One song for each side, and it was in a soapbox. And it was called the soapbox set, and uh, yeah, it's like you know, dual load by hand it was like one of her song names. You know? <laughs> and, and, this is and very that, rare. Is that yeah? Is that the only copy of that that exists that you sent? Yeah, I think I have it somewhere. Wow. Oh, they sent it back. I Amazing. I, no, I have a, a copy of it as far as uh, on digital. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the cassette, there was only one copy. Yeah, they, 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 I don't know if they offered it back to me and then I said, nah, they threw it all away with all the other tapes. I well, didn't want to carry it. Were you just not interested in making an LP with Squelchers? Was it just always going to be about well, the live show? Well, that I, was I mean, an LP. Well, I mean, after that. Yeah, I, I, we... We don't, I mean, I don't, after that, after, after that, I, when the squelters were, were hit, I, I'm like, I, we don't sell our music to the public. Right. I mean, I know that was always your philosophy and I just, I didn't know if there was a time that maybe you were going to go another way, but you just decided, no, we're just doing this live. Yeah. In fact, when I said, when I, I was, when, when, when Bandcamp first signed, started, I signed up right away. It was like, it's like, it's like maybe a hundred bands on there. It was like nobody on it. You know, I forget to take it last. So I wrote on there. We don't sell our music to the public. And I put a song up there. It's still up there. Squelchers. Amazing. And was the idea always for it to be a rotating lineup with with you as the the main consistent figure? Yeah. I think there's one show I did play that they played without me. Oh, really? Yeah. I was in Minneapolis or something. And then, then it happened again. And I had to fly back. I played two shows in one day. We had to open up for uh, Anthony Scene in Miami. So I played a show in Minneapolis that afternoon. It was like 28 degrees. And then I jumped on an airplane, flew to Miami, and made the, made the Anthony Scene show. 
Oh, no way. Wow. Yeah, I, we, we played after Anthony Sheen. <laughs> Squelchers, Squelchers played after, uh, there's a list of bands that are as astronomical that you, you look at that we played after them. We actually played after Totally Shaving LA, too. <laughs> at those sh- at those weekly shows? Yeah, at one of those weekly shows. We played, if you, if you ever saw the list of who we played after, you'd be like, odd. Oh. Like, holy shit. Who are yeah. some of the bands? Who are some of the bands off, off the top of your head? Lightning Bolt, you know, uh, uh, just Anti Scene, uh, 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 Anal Cunt. Uh, there's there's so many of them, man. You guys, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Did did uh, police, did did Gigi Talk ever make it? Down, did Gigi Allen ever make it down to Miami? He almost, I almost brought him down once. I was I used to talk to him on the phone. Oh yeah, one of the bands in the '80s I recorded called the Drills. Um, no, hold on, Let me just shut that. Oh, oh. <laughs> so I recorded him in '86, '85, '86, and they were like this punk rock, like Ramones type. Down man, I knew them from like these were rehearsed in my studio in the early eighties, and uh, they went to school. Uh, the, the Rogers guy, Roger, went to school. Roger at the R A W went to school uh, with the uh, G.G. Allen's uh, back in I guess New Hampshire or whatever. And it was like, oh, you know, they're well to do, you know, well educated. But you know, he went to writing his, you know, started writing with a, holding a pen, like you know, like this, you know. Like right. write letters, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to make it the worst possible person he could be. Uh, uh, after all that education, it's like, forget all that. And I talked to him one time, and he was going to start his death tour in Miami. So we were going to, I was going to book him at Club New, that really plush place, the Club New, the famous was in Miami Vice, you know. Well, oh, yeah. I was going to book him. That was going to be the start of his death tour. And, and at the end of the tour, it was Halloween. And at the end of the tour, he, he, wherever he ended up, he was going to kill himself and take somebody with him. Right. So that was the idea. Anyway, that's what he said. Well, he gets arrested. And I guess Detroit was. He was arrested. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some girl wanted the band, brought the band back to her place, and she wanted them to burn her. And she's like, no, hell no, we're not doing that. So she called the cops because she was pissed off. She didn't want to. Didn't want to do what she said. So she calls the cops, and they arrested Alan. And he wow. was in jail for like a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably sobered him up, cleaned them all up, and then they let him go. And, they, and he goes to New York, and probably had probably the CIA probably had some young kids following with some high quality heroin, and they 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 gave it to him, and he overdosed right in the living room. I feel like Gigi would have fit in great with the squelchers. I feel like he could have squelched mm-hmm. pretty great. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we, invite, we, we invited Iggy Pop to squelch with us. He's, he was into it. Oh, hell nice. yeah. <laughs> but, he never showed, but he never showed up. And he came the next day and apologized. He was with some young girl. He had a date with some young girl. <laughs> That's, don't worry about it, dude. Next time. Acceptable. So, I mean, the, especially in the, in the 90s in Miami, Shave, squelchers, hairy pussy. I mean, it just must have been a pretty great, wild time. Those, those that those chunks of years, I would have to imagine. Plus, we had creamers. Uh, tomatoes are plenty. Lived in Miami. About oh, I didn't realize. That. Wow. Yeah, and he was doing like these folk shows, and he would come to Churchill's and watch the squelchers and stuff. Oh wow, that's so cool. That's he cool. liked the squelchers. He liked this craziness. Oh wow, that's sick! I didn't realize yeah. he lived down there. Yeah, Tabata was down for fifteen years. He was a Miami. Dude, that's so cool. So good neighbor. 
so when you you said bored shitless was what ended up becoming INC, correct? Right. Yeah, bored and- shitless is the first, and then Amel goes, "We should, we need a better name." He says, "We should do something more of- official soundings, like the International Noise Conference." I'm like, "Okay, that sounds good." And was that- did, was that before or after Five Phenomena? Or same Five time? Pheno- Five Phenomena. That was uh, the one that uh, the Jermaine did. Yeah, there was like the tour that the bands, uh, 10 bands play for five minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was before. Okay. Yeah. uh, uh, Ink might have been, Ink was, Ink was, uh, Five Phenomena was before International Noise Conference, but about the same time as the board shit was. Okay, gotcha. And you, that was a tour in an RV, correct? The the tour, at least, the Five Phenomena on wheels. Right. And and uh, was that the RV, if I'm not? That's correct. Yes. Were you, and then, was, did you plot that out? Yeah, uh, that was pretty intense. Uh, it's a pretty heavy thing to do. Uh, it ended up costing us one hundred eight dollars each, which is fucking for the whole week. Pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> well, we had we had a we could fly because we had switch gear. So I decided let's get train tickets, and it's a twenty four hour train ride to New York from Miami. And uh, so we would just, you know, just put a gear off the, take all the gear we want, you know. So we did that. So we took a train up to New York. We met, uh, we carried all that shit through uh, the train stations, the subway. And we we met up at uh, Kyle Lapidus's house in Broad up in Broadway, up in Midtown, New York. And then we, we uh, the next morning, I got up and went to uh, Tucker, New York, and rented a, uh, a RV. Brought it down. We loaded up and took off. And then I think we did it 10 days or something like that, so many days. And right by the second or third day, or in the middle of the tour, that's when 9-11 happened. And uh, we were driving We were driving into Chicago. I was on the highway trying to come into Chicago early in the morning. We we're hearing about 9-11. You know, the plane hit the Empire State. And there's one more mm-hmm. plane that took off from Cleveland that's, that they don't know where it is. And so I said, hey, Watch the watch Sears Tower. A jet's gonna hit that fucking thing in any minute. Because if it left off of Cleveland, it's gonna go ahead right for Sears Tower. So, but it didn't. It turned around and headed back, and it was planning on hitting, I guess, uh, Camp David or something. I don't know what the hell it was trying to go to. Uh, so it, you know, so it turned around and went the other way, and then you know that that was the beginning. That was nine eleven. And then you did you guys play that? Did the show go on? Yeah, we, or did, yeah, we played that night in Chicago. Fireside Bowl? It was kind of weird, yeah. It was a weird show. It was, it was kind of weird, you know, because we were under attack. That's so weird. And then you had to return the camper in New York, right? So you had to go back to the city? Well, we toured all the way back. We toured. We did our show. Yeah. You know, it was left. And when we got to New York, New York looked like a fucking, uh, you know, it was totally, I mean, we're in the Lower East Side. I'm from the Lower East Side, so. I, I saw the I saw the Twin Towers being built when I was a kid, so I was like, okay. So we were supposed to play the Knitting Factory that was completely shut down. Mm-hmm. So I talked to Hilly, and Hilly's like, "Yeah, I'm open. You can do it here. All my bands canceled, so the, the CBGBs is open." And uh, so we we had the option to do CBGBs, but then we decided not to do it because you know New York was in pretty bad shape. You smell yeah. the wires, the burnt wires. So. Oh, so intense. And luckily, we had train tickets. 
So we were able to take the train back to Miami because all the airlines were shut down. Remember? Oh, yeah, exactly. yes. It, yes. So it was a stroke of genius for once. And uh, we had great <laughs> seats. What? So what was the RV touring? Like, I've never toured in an RV. What, did you guys stay in it? Or did some people yeah, stay some in of it? Us stayed, some of us stayed in it. Some of us stayed in it. Where were you staying? We were staying with people. Along the way. You got to stay so in we, it to watch the gear. We had puppet shows by uh, 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 Nuge. Nuge did some puppet shows for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so what, what, I guess what is touring in an RV like? I mean, is we it? We had Ovo. We had Ovo with us. Yeah. Right. And Pango, right? Yeah, Pango. Yeah. Good. And, and every, how, people. So everyone just crammed in. But and were you driving? Yeah. Are you always the driver? No, I was all the driver on that one. I had uh, Dan Hotsker was driving mostly because he had the most experience. But then, you know, I eventually became the driver, like always. Is that just your your that I I I'm I'm a fan of that. Are you? Is that you? You just like the, being the one that's gonna. You, well, you, yeah, that's usually what happens. Yeah, you're the captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that the only RV tour you did? Other than that, it's been banned. Yes. Yeah. Would you recommend yeah, so, people doing it? Yeah, if, uh, if you get a group of people. I mean, like I said, it only costs us uh, $108 each. Wow. The money we, we separated, we, we, you know, we, we uh, uh, subtracted all the money we made and, uh, from what we spent, and, and then we split it like 10 ways or whatever it was, 12 ways. And it, came, it was real cheap. A cheap vacation. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I would imagine you drive frequently because, I mean, if, if it's an overnight drive, I would trust you to make it there. Where? To anywhere. anywhere. Not fall yeah. asleep at the wheel. Oh, no. You I, have that I, factor. I, we, we used to Florida as being a long stay. So I'm, I'm used to long drives. I drive and, to Atlanta 10 hours. You know. Yeah. You know, That's the first real city to hit. You know, there's Gainesville and Orlando, but they're three and five hours away. Tampa, four hours away. Yeah. And Pete. So, but, so you were doing, I mean, basically the end of the nineties and into the early two thousands was just heavy touring time. Yeah. Yeah. Did, was there a point? I mean, and, and the tours were, and the shows are chaotic and the people you're with are chaotic. Right. Your car could be chaotic depending on who you're taking with. How did right. you just sort of, what was your philosophy on just wrangling people, making sure everybody is in the van at the end of the night or in the morning? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> the true. Yeah, and our biggest challenge was definitely was uh, the west side of the United States. I mean, uh, Austin. You know, I had to like expose the. Uh, it was a uh, the Chronicle there or something like that, and uh, I sent them an email. I could get a gig in Austin. I'm like, what the fuck? So. Uh, I said, I, I said it was his fault. It was just the writer, the main music writer there, or the Chronicle, whatever it was they have over there. And I said, it's your fault that a band like mine can't play in Austin. There's plenty of stages, you know. And why can't we, a band like this play? Why can't we have a night like this in Austin? What the fuck is wrong with you people? You know. I, and uh, and when I sent them that email, I cut 25 of the top writers in the country in on that. Me ripping this guy's ass, and he called me back. On my, like a, a half hour later, he called me. And he says, "Listen, I'm, you're right. It is my fault for not covering that type of music. And I actually found a place for you guys to play. Just call this guy. 
uh, Daryl, or Daryl, whatever his name is. And it turned out to be the, the first week uh, Beerland was open. It had just opened. And so we played Beerland. <laughs> Excellent. And that, that was Squelchers or Shave? Yeah, that was the Squelchers. And, and that's what it took to get a gig in Austin. And then it was hard to get, uh, it was easy for me to get gigs in LA, but not something that was, because I knew people there. And uh, that was a that was a tough one. We ended up playing the, the, the Silver Lake Lounge. Um, oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was, it was, it was like a battleground, but you know, people from Flipside were showing up and saying, Oh, this is pretty cool, man. And stuff like that. You know? And then, you know, San Francisco wasn't as hard, but San Francisco, we were, you know, we had more people, uh, that were based there that were, were Miami people. So the Miami people put the show together and they were like, Whoa, this is fucking crazy as shit. You know, so that it was a battle on the West Coast. Was, and getting out easy. there, yeah. Well, getting just out this... there wasn't that bad. It was it, it was I mean it's a long drive, but it was just a battle on getting a decent gig out there, you know. And Portland and Seattle and well Portland wasn't too bad, uh, but Seattle was impossible and you know, and, and coming back, you know, but then it, well, as soon as I got to Minneapolis, I was good. Of course, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah, because I mean, especially in that time, you know, obviously Matt Saint Germain was, you know, yeah. and and Cocky SP in Minneapolis. Right. So Minneapolis yeah. was, you know, that was important for us going out there right. and and doing all that. So that there was definitely a time where that was a big important yeah. place. Yeah. So you, know, you got you know, three, four gigs on the west coast, on the west side of the United Mississippi, and uh, you know, like like twenty on the east side. You know, a big difference. But I mean, I mean, also too, you know, with with all with the so many different people in the sculptures, you know, depending on the the amount of band members, I mean, did did you were, did you see yourself as sort of the like I said, the, the captain of the tour? Like ultimately, you're the one who's sort of making this all happen and, yeah, and because, making sure, yeah. yeah. Because most of the, the girls that go on tour, they just broke up with a boyfriend. They didn't give a shit, whatever. So they were out to destroy everything. That's the girl I was looking for. The girls that were going to destroy everything. And was, right. they were mad. So that worked out for me musically. And they were also, you know, some of them were pretty had good ears. And they, they know what was happening. But they were also so, fighters. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I can't. I imagine it's, it was crazy. I mean, did you basically... I, I assume the rule is just sort of like do whatever you want as long as you're in the van at X time in the morning to the yeah. next city. Basically, well, like we, we I didn't really go far from the van either, far from the yeah. area. They, they stay close. Right, right, right. And there this is the cool. time. This is like Elise, and like this is that time. Yeah, yeah. And, Elise. Yeah, right. well, the first round was Elise, Paige, and uh, Melissa. They stayed tight together, and then uh, then the next was uh, uh, you know Leslie Keffer and. Uh, and Valerie and those and, and Max, those are another, you know, yeah, that ever. Yeah. yeah so. Max was definitely in it the last time or one of the last times. And I saw so in Florida, which was uh, at this point, it was a long time ago, but I remember she was right. in it then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that um, was the yeah. lineup, I think, when you played uh, the first show at my, my loft in Detroit right. at, at Green yeah. Door, uh, which was yeah. also my birthday party, which was a huge yeah. fucking mess. <laughs> that's right well you know you don't buy a lot of food next time <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> the squelchers are in town it's an inaugural show what, do you, what is this, this isn't gonna be you know James Taylor you know this is, uh, <laughs> the squelchers, well, then, I, then I would I would kidnap uh, 
uh, uh, Ortman from uh, Chicago, right. bring him with me to Detroit. He was all fuck up drunk on, on roller skates <laughs> at that weather party the next year. Knocked all the beer bottles over. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just that chaos, that, that chaos was, we were all just so, we were there for it, man. Yeah. It was just, that's yeah. what we wanted, you know? And, and even Gray was saying, you know, after that first show, I mean, he went out on hit one of his first tours, yep. you know, totally yeah, inspired you by you, you know? Yeah. You just got to keep moving ahead, man. Never look back. Just move ahead, you know? Because if you, as soon as you look back at something or somebody or this, you, you're just wasting your time. You gotta look yeah. ahead. Don't waste your time. Just keep looking ahead. And I looked ahead. You know, my move here it slowed me down a bit here, because uh, as far as touring goes, well, I mean the the whole pandemic, it was no touring at all. You know, but the uh, after that, I I still I said, yeah, it's not going to tour that hard right now. So I decided I was going to sell my place and move, and it would take me time to make that move. You know, maybe a, a year or two, right. and I got two years to do it. So. But hopefully, I, uh, I'm in my sixth month right now. And so if I could knock this out in six months, I mean, uh, it only took me one year. So it's good. And I'm actually doing stuff. I'm not touring, but I'm doing stuff. And you're setting the studio back up once you get in the new location? Yeah. But, of course, it's kind of up now, but it's only uh, uh, it's only the uh, mastering stuff and a couple of things. You know? I don't really have the recording, but I can record. Uh, and but I can't do the whole package. I usually record, mix, and master all at one time, and I can't do that right now. I don't have all my gear together for that. Yeah, we I just haven't. nobody got to see your tour prior to us recording, Rat. So just to describe it, like like when some people move, they you know move a house full of stuff. Like you have yeah. an entire studio and musical yeah. collection and twenty bands. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all that shit I showed you in the warehouse, that was all in my one bedroom apartment. Uh, <laughs> oh no, yeah. it's yeah. it was crazy. It was all that, yeah. It was all yeah. it took me four hours to oh, four hours to unload the the, the uh walk in closet in my bedroom. Four hours. <laughs> so yes, it, it just want to just want everyone to appreciate this move. This is no small yeah. feat. No, it's a big move, yeah. And uh, when I get my place, you know, then I'll be more, you know, uh, when I set some up, it'll pretty much be permanently there for whenever, you know, I don't move things around that much, you know. So this is like practice. This temporary space is like I'm practicing living in a warehouse. And then when I go into the my the new place, I will upgrade like the bathroom and stuff like that to regular stuff. But not, you know, here I'm not going to do that because this is temporary. But your gear is so impressive and, yeah. and cataloged. And it's and, just been collecting since back then. I mean, you've just yeah, been. Since the, yeah, since uh, the late 70s. So you've always had a studio. Yes. Wow. I'll always have a studio. And then, uh, I guess I'm still doing stuff for people on, on my computer, you know, mastering or remixing or editing and stuff. But very little because I'm working hard trying to uh, get this gear back up and. Uh, uh, pristine shape. Uh, I didn't have time to do it when it was in the in, uh, in the, the apartment. Didn't have the room, but now I got a lot of room and got all the tools set up in one place. It's a lot easier to do. And That's awesome. so, when some for some of the the later to live and shave albums, some of the last albums, were you guys doing that remotely, or did you did you guys meet up and yeah, do we, it in person? <laughs> We we well, we did we did our tours. We did a couple of tours in Europe, 
And we oh, did okay. a lot of recording there. Yeah. And we did and and Tom was here uh once or twice and we did some recording here as well. And we did some uh you know, the the mixing was done and the matching was done remotely. The last time I saw To Live and Shave was in Detroit and you were the the, the it was maybe the greatest set. Uh, I saw of shave. It was just it was absolutely incredible. Fantastic. And you were, you were doing the radio stuff at that time. And I associate radio with you. When did you start utilizing radio as an instrument? Well, you know, I figured, uh, radio is always been around radios and stuff. And, uh, I, when I was a kid, I used to listen to the radio a lot, record songs off the radio. So I would get, you know, like, and it would miss the first uh, couple of notes and stuff. And then, you know, trying to um, capture the songs I liked on the radio. Uh, I would spend hours listening to the radio and capturing, then playing those songs back all day. You know? uh, and then maybe trying to learn them on guitar or something, you know. But, uh, yeah, so radio was always a, a key thing. And then uh, and then I ran into Andy Clark, which was my partner in the studio in 1980. And his father was one of the top ham radio uh people in the country and he would uh whenever there was a hurricane in the islands he would be using ham radio to contact what's going on because he was the only guy that could ha- he could contact the islands you know wow. so he was an expert and he had a garage full of ham radio stuff so it's totally all around of radios a lot in the early days is that something that you and tom connected on too because he he said the radio was big for him when he was young yeah yeah he was a, he was into like listening to radio a lot uh, that's what you had really and he would, but he would have like, he would listen to those, like, uh, those religious shows, you know, those, those preachers and stuff. You know, you put a whole, put a whole CD together with that stuff. It's hilarious. So, yeah, that CD's uh-huh. amazing. It's Reverend Knox. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's classic. I remember staying with you and you slept on your kitchen floor. I mean, were you yeah. always just able to sleep anywhere? Yeah, anywhere. And can you still do that? Yeah, well, by sleeping in a fucking office in a fucking warehouse right now. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, so that just never. Le- I mean, you're like you. You're gonna tour whenever you get the chance again, right? My first tour is gonna be soon. It's gonna be me playing these forty fives. Oh, oh, you're gonna oh, do great. a DJ tour. Yeah. Amazing. So you just party still every have- night, but there'll be local noise bands that will be playing. And you're gonna also. do it on the yeah. East Coast. Yeah, so I'll probably do the whole country if I can. Wow! So you that that so from that was it that first tour? Did you just never lose that feeling of wanting to tour? Nah, yeah, I like touring because I like driving and stuff, and just I hanging like out. Eat. I like the food. The food in these cities awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. I miss the food the most, not the people, but the food. <laughs> do you, is it snacks or the restaurants? The people always change. The people always change, but the food doesn't. Yeah, uh, that's that's a loose burger will always be a loose burger. Hey, uh, a, a garbage plate will always be a garbage plate. That's right. I could go for a fat <laughs> sandwich right about now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, like you said, like you were showing us before. Now you've been doing you've been DJing. That's been sort of what you've been doing a lot around uh, Florida right now around Miami. Yeah, I've, I've been, people have been blown away. They're like, oh, my God, man. I'm playing Al Green, and, you know. And I'm talking about, man, this guy, Al Green, man, this is shit. Every, every fucking word is on the upbeat, singing on the upbeat. That's why it's a genius. No one thought of that. 
Music now, you see, like, it's a fucking all on the upbeat. You sing it on the upbeat. Hilarious. I feel like you ever do that. I never, never noticed it, but I feel like your DJ says you should have a microphone and you should be talking. No, they, they, they <laughs> did a gig like that. They gave me yeah. a mic and mm-hmm. I was explaining the insanity of all these old songs. Like, why do they happen? What the fuck? Like, like what's what's that? What's that? Uh, what's that fucking uh, 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 yes part in the middle of fucking uh, 23? Uh, what do you call it? Uh, brothers? The brothers uh, Johnson. It was 23. uh uh, brother Johnson, twenty-three aisles. Got to look at here. My mind's gone. Uh, oh my god, a, the brothers Johnson. Yeah, Strawberry Letter twenty-three. We had that record. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a there's a there's a there's a yes part in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> hey, punk! <laughs> <laughs> Think about that part. What the who came up with the engineer was put into yes something, man, a producer. Maybe I got a great idea, man. We're going to break into this right here. <laughs> what the fuck? Right? You don't remember Dude, that? Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. No, I'm just saying, I, I think this is... I piss is... my pants every time that part kicks in, man. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what were, the, what were the date ranges on your uh, records again for what you're, 1963, what you're spinning? 1963. Because mm-hmm. in 1963, before that, I was like, nah, you know. 63 is like kind of when the Beatles kicked in and Dylan kicked in in 63. And then it pretty much dies off into like 76. But then disco kicked in, which was interesting. And so for the for, for top 40. So I kept mm-hmm. it to 79. And then I, I only a few records that I liked that were singles in the early 80s. So, yeah, there was only a few uh, singles in the 80s. Uh, I can always get this part down to science, man. Uh, yeah, it's just right here. <laughs> yeah. Now, what the hell? Here it goes. But yeah, it's a, but there's, there's parts of these songs that I scream laughing because it's so insane. What the fuck were they thinking of this? <laughs> I, I think this is the part here coming up. <laughs> uh, I think it comes up now. Here you go. With Wakeman. What the fuck? Yeah, man, that's a great idea. Wow! (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, he's letting that go out and his drummer kicks it back in. Oh my god. <laughs> what the fuck is that? I've actually asked them like the funk dudes. They go, Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't, what is that, man? What the fuck was that? Wow. Everybody questions that. Like, yeah, what was that, man? It was yes. They're, Dude. <laughs> Incredible. Right, so, yeah. Incredible. So this is exhilarating now. Will you Yeah, do- I mean they, they to go back in these records and hear why he was fucking hits. What the fuck? You know. Rare Earth, come on. The drummer was the lead singer. And he wrote everything. 
the fucking drummer. And they, they were like, fuck the music industry. Our songs are going to be 21 minutes, motherfucker. They're straight <laughs> to his hits for 21 minutes long. But they had the label had to truncate him down to five, man. Like, fuck these guys. We're, making, we're trying to make money here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brothers, wait, uh, the Chambers Brothers, 11, 11 minutes. Come on, Chambers Brothers. Yeah? Dude. The big hit. Uh, Come on, those are, those guys that fuck the music industry. They know they couldn't put a fucking, put an uh, 11 minute song on a single, you know? But they did it. <laughs> <laughs> they had to cut it, you know? Oh, amazing, amazing. So, yeah, so it's a lot of stuff that, you know, that happened in all these hits, man, you know? Sam Cooke, Chang Yang, and his voice is like so in your face dry. It's awesome. It's like if you're in a room with him. And I tell people, do it that way. Do that. Record. Don't put no reverb. No reverb. It sounds so tense. Mm-hmm. And when you hear this record, you go, oh, shit. Yeah. That's way in your face. <laughs> Dude. Amazing. A- so are you, will you be doing Squelchers shows? Uh, on a t- on tour at all? Are, are you planning on doing that at all? Yeah, I figured let's do. It. I'm gonna do this record thing. I've been wanting to do this because I think this is something that everybody should hear live in a room and go nuts, you know. And I'll play. I'll I've I've done like eight hour sets with this. Right. Wow. Eight hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one time with record store day, I did 17 hours straight. I played three places <laughs> in a row. Record store day, and I was going. I started at night in a club, and then then I, I six o'clock in the morning in Sweat Records, and then I went on to Radioactive Records. And when I got done, I was playing records for seventeen hours. I mean, have this has this energy always been with you, even as a kid, as a high school? I mean, yeah, were you just yeah, always yeah. like, yeah, no stop. Like you that. have focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just an asshole, you know, by by nature, <laughs> naturally, you know. I mean, one time I hid in a. Uh, uh, and they had the uh, the entire uh, uh, the scouts, and I and I hid in the woods. And a hundred scouts went out to look for me, and they couldn't find me. And finally, they gave up, and they asked me to come out. And I said, "All right." I came out, <laughs> and, I, and I got in trouble, but you know, they were, couldn't find me. I said, "You guys suck." I was sitting right there. I was like, literally, watch. I could see everything they were doing. They couldn't find me. <laughs> yeah. So you've just always been a rat just, bastard. Yeah, yeah I've always, always a been a rat bastard. bastard. Yep. So when they sent me and my cousin home on a bus back to New York, uh, we the, the, our parents were standing out front on the corner waiting for us. Get, my cousin got it worse than I did. I just blamed everything on him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, incredible, dude! This I just got one to my aunt's house, and the cops were looking for me. <laughs> oh, really? My, and I still stayed out hiding on them. I had to think about hiding from people. Who's the first person to call you Rap Bastard? Uh, there was that band, The Drills. They, they called you that? Well, my mother called me that. They couldn't believe <laughs> that my mother called me a Rap Bastard. They put it they put produced by Rap Bastard, so I kept the name. <laughs> oh, that's that's the actual first time. Wow. Yeah. They couldn't believe it. My mom called him a Rap Bastard. It's fucking insane, man. So we got this. produced by Rap Bastard, man. <laughs> well, where were you hiding? Oh, yeah, the trees. Oh my god! <laughs> and then, how about when with at your aunt's? Where were you, where did you hide? The same thing in the trees. I was right oh, there. Oh, oh, in the tree. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a good climber. Cops. Yeah. Oh, one time I uh, I was cops chasing when I was a kid, 
and I would, you know, I knew how to where to hide. I would one time I, I hit, I climbed the wall and I hid over this door, and a cop came through that door, but he didn't look up. <laughs> I knew he was gonna look up. It was like, it's like right those over movies. his head. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like a movie. Oh my god! <laughs> Incredible! Incredible! Man, Rat, this has been so fun. Just like this, it's just like if anyone wants to know what it's like to hang out with Rat Bastard, you have just experienced <laughs> yeah. it. It is always fun. Yes, you are going to get some great stories. You're gonna, you know, just this is this is just the best. This Your is face so great. will hurt from smiling. Yes, absolutely. Man, killer man. Well, Rat, thanks so much for sitting down with us and just yeah. hanging out. And hurry up and get this warehouse because I want to see this tour. Oh yeah. So when you guys come down, you know, uh, you know, we'll, I'll do a, we'll do a big bong. You guys play some of the records. I'm sure you know all the songs. Too. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Anybody can, anybody can DJ on my set. Yeah, hell. Even the cat. Even the cat. The cat plays the synth though. I think we heard it a minute ago. Yeah. Or at yeah, the beginning. Yeah. Fucking walks on the notes. Yeah, I love to change the synthesizer. Every once in a while, the setting. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Rat, this is awesome. Thank you so much for talking to us. And like we said, everybody, you gotta, you can't underestimate the importance of those tours you guys were doing and how it influenced yeah. the next, yeah. all of us to how we book these tours and to, you just, you just fucking do it. You just go. Yeah. And there's, you but don't. Have you, have you been with the rolling amps too? The rolling amp shows? The amps on wheels. Have you ever been to one of those? When people no. are on the amps. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I've done it. I've definitely done it at a squelcher yeah. show. I've definitely, I've definitely rolled on an amp uh, for sure. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure with with Squ Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And, well, my whole thing about sound is I'm, I got tired of sound coming from one place. You know, like the sound comes from that one area. Big deal. So I got to when sound moves around a room, it changes. It actually changes itself, and so uh, uh, like the first no fun, I was in quad. Yep. You know, I had I was in quad. I had sound effort coming from everywhere, and so when that sound moves around, it changes. So that was my whole thing. So I, I got we got tired of girls carrying the amps, so I put wheels on them. <laughs> yeah, I remember. No, I do remember. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. People were surfing them, and the sound was moving faster too. So it looked more cool. You know? And those so, yeah, amps, was, I played in squelchers at the first no fun. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you yeah. did. Who jumped out? It was me that jumped on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, was only, that was the only time I played in that set when I jumped on your back. And, and yeah. you were you were always it was always PVs. Is it still PVs? Yeah, yeah. Because they're like you know I have to rebuild them every tour, but you know I build them so they don't they last. You know we were in Ohio that time in Columbus and we were looking for one of the PVs and we looked up. They go there it is. It was up in the basketball net. <laughs> oh my god someone chucked it up in the air he caught the basketball on that Jesus oh man well, I can't wait can't wait to see uh, some rolling amps again sometime out here when we get down there again but yeah, yeah, well, we, gotta yeah. we gotta make it happen we gotta I make think it I'm happen gonna, I'm gonna use drones this next time man. it's gonna be all drones uh, what, what, what do you mean like drone, drone like yeah. that, that no droning sound, sound, uh, drone use sound Drones, the things that fly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, so, yeah. really? Flying drone yeah. amps. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, amazing. We <laughs> this needs to happen. It'd be loud as shit too. You've been listening to Noise Extra.
Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.